the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. And today, in this episode, we've got something a little bit different. Uh, We've been receiving some feedback from our listeners that they would appreciate a little bit more of a roundtable discussion, something where people who are in the field and practicing get together and talk about some of the issues they're facing, some of the lessons they've learned, and um, our hope is that perhaps you would connect with some of those lessons and be tweaked by some of the ideas that we propose or that we talk about. And I'm very privileged and happy to have my good friend Bryn Spence with me today to have a bit of a conversation. Bryn, how are you this evening? I'm good. How are you, Corey? I'm great. Uh, so... If you don't know about Bryn, he uh, is currently the principal at High Park School in Stony Plain, Alberta. And what I really appreciate about Bryn is that um, is that he's got a huge amount of lived experience in really cool things that I don't know a lot about. And some of those include biology and wildlife, and those also include things like inclusion and uh, behavior needs. And uh, why don't we start? At the very beginning, Bryn, what's, uh, how, how did my intro go? What would you add? Anything that I've left out? Well, I think the, the big thing is we had the, the ability or the, the privilege of learning together for three years at, uh, at Broxton Park as a, a really dynamic admin team. And uh, we, I think we learned a lot about a whole bunch of different things in that, uh, in that time together. And I think, um, just there were so many things that we took away and so many things that if I think back to, I, I'm going back to our, our first, I think it was like maybe the first day and we, uh, we, we were sitting around and you and I said, Hey, let's go for lunch. And, and if I think go back to that conversation and some of the things we talked about and where we thought things should go and what we thought things should look like. And then thinking about how they all played out and where we are now, it's a, it's a very interesting path that we took, right? It is a very, very interesting path. What is uh, what is so interesting is that uh, as a, yeah, Bryn and I we we uh, worked together and we learned together. And uh, at the very beginning, that was actually my first admin gig. That was the first time I had been an assistant principal, and so that's also really interesting. And um, and we had we did have a not only a dynamic uh, admin team there, but we had quite the school. Um, we had a diverse school. And so at that point, uh, Broxton Park, which was uh, in Alberta, Spruce Grove, part of Parkland School Division, we had uh, a French immersion program. We had a Maranatha program, which is a Christian program inside of a public school. We had the um, kind of designated special needs rooms. What would you say, 50, 60 kids in those rooms? Yeah, roughly. Roughly. We had... Um, Two alternative behavior programs, one for early years, one for middle years. 
And am I missing anything, Bryn? And then oh, early, early education. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then we also yeah. had our uh, all of our uh, early childhood services that were housed out of there. So as you can imagine, what an amazing learning space. We learned about everything and everything under the sun. And uh, and yeah, that what a great place to learn. I just keep thinking about that. Let's talk about let's talk about that. In reflection, what are some of the things that you when you're thinking about that time or when you're talking about um, not just the time we're at Broxton, but any time in your time as a leadership in school, what are some of the big lessons that you're thinking about or that you really cherish right now, Bryn? Um, You know, one of the things that I think when I think back to that time specifically, I think um, something that really emerged as a really key piece of, of the work we do as leaders is that importance of relationships and, um, that whole idea that we're in it together and, and we're only as good as the people we're working with. Right. And I think that that is such a, a key piece and that's something that's really stuck with me. And I remember, you know, our, our good friend, Dr. Hetherington saying, saying things along the lines of, you know, you got to take care of your people first and, and all of those things. And I don't know that I really understood that to the degree that I do now like I you understand the kind of the obvious piece but there's all sorts of other underlying elements to that and and behaviors within that that are so important um that have to it's like a constant uh juggling match to keep all that stuff in the air right yeah, I remember a couple of his lines that I loved. You got to take care of your stars, or you're, you're my all stars. Remember that yeah. line? You're my all stars, and that's yeah. yeah. You take care of your people because if they don't show up, there's no one else. They they are the the kids that they are the people that kids look to every day. And uh, another one of my favorite lines is uh, "People before things." Yeah, uh, yeah, I love those lines. Those relationships are are huge. And and you know what? I I talked to Randy and had the privilege of talking on this podcast. Uh, I think it was episode four with with randy about that and and he he believes that but he also lives that and and that really made me take a step back and say no this was a a case where he not only talked about what was really important to him about how relationships were important how taking care of his people um, and that didn't just include teachers that was all of his people whether it was his EAs or his therapists or we had all sorts of uh, of staff um, assistants executive assistants secretaries you know all the way yeah. down to his parents, he he really lived that. He didn't have to talk about it as much as he he did, um, although he didn't he didn't expound on it. But he really showed that through his actions, and that was another thing that I that I will always remember. Your values got to match your actions, uh, and you sometimes have to to take a step back and evaluate: is this actually um, is this what I'm doing in line with what I'm thinking or what I say? And I think that alignment is so important, right? And you and I have talked about that, about other things, about when we don't have alignment between what we're saying and what we're doing, whether it's um, sometimes it's like, even if it's just a case of you're trying to fake it till you make it, right? And you're like, okay, I'm just going to go through the motions of this. Those those can come off as very, um, it comes off as fake, right? And it doesn't have that alignment. It doesn't have that that genuine nature that that is so important and and i think in some cases that does damage to the relationships by damage to the relationships i think people pick up on that really quick um i mean there's there's a sense and a feeling you get when someone's being fake um yeah i I don't know 
every person is different, but I think that there's a large, large percentage of that staff that's going to know when you're not really in it, when you're kind of giving it lip service and you're not really live, you're not in it for real. So yeah, I think you said that, that, that well. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think about was having those specialized behavior rooms. Now, you know, that I don't really get into what that looks like, but I learned a lot around challenging behaviors when you, um, from you and in those clustered programs like that. Things like the importance of regulation, things like the importance of the sense of community, things like even, you know, like, kids like to eat. And if you show up hungry, you're going to have more behavior. And I mean, I remember the story of the first time we got called down and I will always remember this. You kind of stripping their watch off and the time there I am sitting in my tie, uh, which was used to choke me at one point, uh, you know, my watch and my rings and things like that. It was just, just a totally different world. But you know, it doesn't always come to that, that I don't want to, I don't want to, to say things like that. Uh, you train in NVCI and the biggest thing that I learned from nonviolent crisis intervention was you don't get physical. You, you, you don't go hands on. Uh, but that was definitely an eye opening experience. And I think that I've got a lot of strategies for de-escalation and to, so that students aren't acting out as much. Um, when I'm, when you're thinking about behavior and when you're thinking about dealing with challenging kids around behavior, what are some of the things that you're thinking about from either that time or that you've learned since then? Um, well, I mean, I think you hit it on the, hit it on the head with the, the idea that sometimes feeding them is the easiest, like is, is the best and, and most effective strategy that you can do, right? If you can't take care of all of those, um, what we call nonviolent precipitating factors, the things that are, are just influencing behavior. Um, you know, in, in positive behavior report, there's supports, we call them setting events. They've got all sorts of different names, but there's all these kind of one-offs and big easies that you can take care of. And sometimes in taking care of those, you don't hit the, uh, you don't hit the antecedent and so you don't have the behavior spark. Right. And if you can avoid that, then that's, that's, that's your number one goal. Um, I think the idea that, the ultimate idea that behavior is all about communication and they're trying to tell you something. And sometimes you're just not smart enough to, to, uh, to figure out what it is that they're saying. Right. And I, I, I mean, going back to Randy again, that's, that's something that always came back to me is, you know, I, I remember one of the interview questions we'd always finish with is, you know, is there something you want to say that we just weren't smart enough to come up with a question? And I think that aligns really well with the whole behavior pieces did we just not ask the right question or are we not picking up the information that you're throwing down? And if that's the case, then how do we take a step back without making it personal and say, so what are you trying to tell me? And now how do we move forward? How do I help you meet that need? Because you're going about meeting that need as best you can. And I haven't given you the tools to address it. Right. And so then how do I give you those tools? Yeah, absolutely. And that twigs me in my mind to another person that you introduced me to, and that's Ross Green, and that's the kids do the best they can. And I mean, they, they really do. And it's, and it's our uh, job and it's a tough job to, to sometimes help them do just a little bit better when they can't meet the needs in positive ways to, to get around that. And I think about, you know, that hierarchy of needs. I mean, yeah, do you got, do you have food? Are you hungry? Are you safe? Do you feel safe? All right. Well, then we can move on to academics and things like that. But, you know, establishing that base and taking the time to really uh, establish that base. 
and there's a whole bunch of stuff when we get up to it, academics. And uh, we've both laughed because sometimes people want to take that whole swath and just say, oh, no, it's all about academics. You bring down the academics to their basic needs. Everything's going to be fine. And I absolutely agree with that to the point. But yeah, if you're hungry and you got nowhere to live and you uh, feel unsafe both at school or at home, I mean, yeah, the academics is is the then. Um, yeah, I remember us having lots of conversations around that. How do we meet those needs? And that's really tough for schools. Yeah, and I, I think the other piece of behavior that's really important to remember is um, if if we're not if we're looking for the quick fix, we're inevitably looking in the wrong direction, yeah. right? And that's that's a that's a double edged sword because sometimes the quick fix is the thing that we have to use in emergencies. It's the thing we have to do, you know, in in just to get by that as a stopgap measure. And so sometimes we end up overusing that right and i I think that ties to the whole idea of going physical with kids right um reflecting on my time when when i worked within a like in a in a behavior program myself it's really easy to go to that place where you're you know you're over restraining or you're 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 going to that particular tool more often than maybe you should because that's the easiest place to go and i think that one of the things that you learn over time is that if you keep going there, you, it turns into an arms race, right? Yeah. And they get bigger and you get bigger and they get bigger. And, you, and then you realize, okay, this is totally ridiculous. This isn't working. This isn't doing what we need it to do. And it's actually reinforcing the behavior that I'm trying to correct. And so if you're not aware of that and you're not looking for, you know, what is the systematic or the small series of changes that you can make to think, make things improve, you miss that piece, right? And and if we're looking for the quick fix, we inevitably don't put the work in that needs to happen in order to teach the positive behavior. Because ultimately, kids will use that positive behavior if we can show them that it works and it's actually easier in the long run. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, another thing that I that I was just thinking about that you introduced me to is this idea of baseline. And um, some people are really uncomfortable with the fact that there are students whose baseline is higher than perhaps the teacher is comfortable with, or or we have to measure things against what a baseline is. And, you know, everyone's got their frequency. And I'm sure that you have a much better way of putting that uh, than me, the, the, the non-behavior specialist or the non-behavior guy. But um, maybe just uh, introduce that concept of, you know, baselines and things like that. Well, and I, I think that you're you're absolutely right. Everybody has their own baseline. And, you know, we can make it really complex and draw lots of graphs and everything like that. But it doesn't change the fact that um, we all exist within kind of a range, right? We all have a range of behaviors. Sometimes we're high, sometimes we're low. But we generally re- exist within a certain range of, of emotional highs and lows. Um, and there's overlap. Right. But there's there's definitely I mean, if I look at my what my baseline is and I compare it to somebody else's, there's there's two different baselines. If, and, and I think where that comes in is sometimes we end up expecting or, or trying to figure out, OK, what's normal. Right. And I, I, I love that uh, um, that idea that that uh, Todd Rose shares in his The Myth of Average. It's the idea that when when the U.S. Army, U.S. Air Force was designing cockpits, right? And they, they were saying, okay, I'm going to take 17 dimensions and I'm going to design something that fits um, 
a pilot across these, the average, quote unquote, average pilot, what they found is they essentially built a cockpit that fits nobody, right? And I think that that's what we do when we say, okay, well, that's that's not normal behavior. That's not what everybody else does. We have to understand that, you know, everybody's behavior exists within that range, and we have to understand what that range is in order to, in order to best meet their needs. Mm-hmm. And and maybe switching off the the topic of student behavior but i think that that m- might even be true for adults and and more specifically to our context about school leadership is to teachers and i think that that's a little bit more difficult sometimes to address um but it's something that i've learned too it's that you've got different teachers at different baselines and different frequencies and who who get who 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 different things upset them or they have different triggers or they have different things happening in their lives and it's 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 it has reminded me to understand them as people and to build relationships and to know them and to check in with, with all of the people, including the teachers who have this huge load. And I think oftentimes we just, you know, we pile on them and we forget that, that, that they're doing the best they can too. And that they've got, um, all of this, um, life that, that they bring with them to school, both in the short term and then the long term and lived experiences and all that kind of stuff. And, and I guess that kind of leads, leads back into or leads into school culture. But I think that having that supportive school where we're checking in and we're taking care of one another and we're uh, expounding on people's strengths and putting them in positions to succeed. I mean, I really learned that over the next, over the last few years. And I think that that's where you get, get the traction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you could take Ross Green saying and say, instead of kids do well, if they can, right. Teachers <laughs> do well, if they can. And it's the, it's the same idea. Isn't it though? Isn't it though? Um, I mean, let's, let's get a little bit deeper into school culture. I know that was one of the big things that uh, we have uh, not only talked about, we've worked about and, and you know what? <laughs> I don't want to sit here and say that we're the, the experts because it's uh, we never we never have got some some silver bullets. But what are some things when you're talking about creating school culture that that you think that you've learned or that you you've come to know to be true? I think doing everything you can to be present, mm-hmm. right? Um, when I think about the importance of the message that you send when you maybe you don't necessarily engage in an activity to the same degree that that in, in something in a public manner, right? And so I think just saying things like, yeah, you know what? I, I'm not going to – it's like that idea. I'm not going to ask you to do something that I wouldn't do myself, right? And I think that that – your actions speak louder than words. And I mean, that's something I talk to, you know, my students about my kids about all the time, right? It's that, that idea that you can say whatever you want, Mm -hmm. but it's boots on the ground that actually change things. Right. And so what are we doing and and what is your, what are your actions showing? And then those speak louder than any words that you can say. And so if I'm saying something's important, I'd better make sure that I'm doing it too, right? And that's something that I think is so critical in the work that we do around school culture and that the, the work around valuing each other is that idea that, hey, yeah, you know what? I'm asking you to do this, but I'm doing it too. Yeah. 
do you know what I find actually really cool is that we've got some of that academic research to back that up. And I, I think about Vivienne Robinson and, and, you know, the, the, the research that she put around that instructional leadership piece. I mean, yeah, ensuring you get a safe school and orderly and, and, and I actually forget all of the other factors that she looked at, but the number one, and it was twice as big about creating not only good school culture, but in creating schools that perform well was that the leadership was actively involved in instructional leadership and the learning that happens in buildings. And I think that that speaks to what you're saying. If you're saying, if you go to your teachers and you say, lifelong learning is important, the professional learning that we are delivering is important. And then when that comes in, you take off. Or when that comes in and you're, you're not fully engaged, I mean, that, they're going to see that. And then they're going to think that it's okay to do the same. And then, you know, that, that doesn't become, um, as effective as it could be. And I mean, we spend lots of money, <laughs> lots of money on PL and, and, uh, you know, in terms of a lot of different other professions that I know, we're actually quite lucky in that we have time for professional learning. We have mm-hmm. time to come together. So that, I think that that's really interesting and something that I've been thinking about that engagement, that, that full engagement and participation in the learning. And it might not even be something that, that you feel like you need to learn, um, all the time. But I mean, A, I would question, uh, why are you doing that? If you feel like you don't need to learn as a leader, but also, um, maybe it just, you're showing the model and you're modeling and, and you're showing that to your other staff. So yeah, that's kind of neat that we've got this lived experience that we're talking about, but we've also got some of that academic research to back it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else about school culture? You talk about being present. Does that also include, I was thinking when you were talking, does that just, just being visible? Yeah. Being visible, being aware of what's happening in your building, being, I don't know, like I, I think about that idea of running to the fires, right. And, and that you're, you're coming in to help, you're coming in to add an extra set of hands. Sometimes it's just being there and saying, Hey, I can see that things are not going well. What can I do to help? Yeah. Right. And I think that, um, those are really important pieces of building school culture. It's that idea that we're all in it together and it has to, it has to, um, transcend roles. It has to transcend hierarchy, all that stuff, right? We're all, we're all on a team. We're all working together. And I think that, that reflecting on our time at Broxton, that was that huge piece. And like you said, five very complex and really not, particularly related programs in a lot of cases and and our focus for the, the the time that we had together was really that idea of creating that one school and i think that right we're, we're one school with five programs as opposed to five programs in one school and it, that's semantics but sometimes that's where it starts yeah but yeah no i absolutely agree what are some of the things you've learned? Cause it's something I'm working on. I mean, it's like, we talk about being present and we talk about all hands on deck and we talk about uh, relationships and we talk about all of that requires some face time. What are some of the things that you're doing to, to kind of balance that face time with some of the just managerial administrative stuff, paperwork? Um, are you segmenting? I've kind of like, I've been playing around with a bunch of stuff and I just feel like I'm not, not quite, I'm not quite there yet. Have you have you thought of anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> There's feedback for the audience. Do you have any do you have any do you have any tips for these two guys about making sure you 
get out in your school and don't get swamped by paperwork. Yeah, I don't know. I like I've tried all sorts of things. I've tried and I, I feel like my staff, you know, they, they hear the next great idea and they're like, uh-huh, sure, Brent. And, uh, you know, and then life gets busy and things get in the way and then you realize, oh, I haven't been out. I haven't done that, right? Um, one of the things I tried doing was booking it into my calendar, but it's too easy to book over it and say, oh, yeah, you know, it's that important and urgent, right? Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I... I think it's really important. It's something I'm continuing to work on. And I, I, you know, I think that that, that really does build culture is when you're out there and you're, um, you're visible and you're, but, but you're visible beyond just being there sucking up air, right? It's like you're engaged with people and you're, you're doing that work. Um, and then the feedback piece, right? Like that's the other piece that I, I feel like I'm continuing to develop is that how do I give feedback? How do I, how do I um, do it in a way that works for me, but works for my staff. Yeah. And, and I think that's something, if I'm honest, that's yeah. something that, you know, continues the, to elude me. I, 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 uh, I, I, as I'm reflecting, I think one of the things that I've done the, the we've done because I'm not alone. Uh, I work with an amazing principal, uh, Anil Padeus at, uh, Germania school. One of the things that we done is we totally stole a great idea from our friends over at Evergreen Catholic. And that's Dave Dempsey and Terry Lynn Guimond. And what they were saying was, you know, get into classrooms, regularly schedule a time where you take the class. And this is a dualistic role where you take the class and you get to know those kids and you do something meaningful that perhaps, you know, you like to do and, and that you think is important, but it also allows those people that you release to, to maybe have some professional learning time and, and to get together and to collaborate. And we did that this year. And I would say it's the thing that we have done that has had the largest impact. Now, was it difficult? Oh yeah. But it was also difficult to schedule over because you had already made that commitment. So instead of, you know, booking in your schedule and being like, ah, it's fine. No one's really counting on me. Like those teachers were, were really looking forward to that time. We had a structure around that time. And so that was a really great idea from, from those two. And I know that they espouse that. And that's Dave Dempsey and uh, Terry Lincoln, who are, you know, working in the other division right beside us. No, no, that's a great idea. And, and I think that also, it, it gives that um, that really important knowledge about what am I walking into next time, right? Um, and and maybe that changes my lens the next time I walk into a classroom, just on a walkthrough or just being in the space. All of a sudden, having some understanding about the different kids, you know, gives because you you, you never really. That's one of the things I found in in leadership is you never really get to know the kids to the same degree that you did as a teacher, right? Um, just because you're not spending as much time with them, you, you get to know a few of them, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, not all of them. And it, I think that's one of the things that I really like about that idea is that ability to kind of get to know your whole class. Yeah. And it, do you know what I found? The other thing, you know, we've done it for two rounds. Um, they do it. I think monthly, uh, we've done it for two rounds. It's two months, but, um, even just the, the, the relationship with kids. So they come up to me and they're much more apt to just, Hey, Mr. Haley or, or Mr. Padeus. They, when you're walking through the hallway, they have some sort of reference point where you were in with them, had a bit more of a connection. And, um, 
And yeah, that's it. And we've kind of played on on the idea, and this is maybe the idea I want to go to next, is that, you know, there's some things that, that I've got a little bit of expertise in. So I've kind of been leveraging that too in those, 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 um, situations. And, you know, I've, I've got a skill set. I think that every single person's got the skill set. And I just, I just love that whole idea of you lean on the people who are experts in different things and you learn from them. That's a, that's a huge thing that I've learned. Um, I mean, right from our Broxton days. I mean, yeah. I learned so much that first year because every time I turned around, there was someone else who was an expert in their field in some sort of specialist program. But nonetheless, they could bring that back down to really a generalized program. Yeah, I think that's that idea of learning from everybody and taking from taking and giving, right? Because it's definitely a two way street. And I think, like you said, that's that's a really important piece to remember is that everybody has a skill set. And so, I think it's really easy when you're surrounded by people who know things that you don't to go to a place of, oh, I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. But it's important to remember that you do and you do have a skill set that you're bringing to the table and and understanding what that is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that diversity is so important in building a, uh, a cohesive staff, an effective staff. I think it's that idea that we're always learning and exchanging ideas. And then one of the things that I always appreciated about, you know, any, whenever you get into collaboration and, and it certainly when we work together is that idea that, you know, you might have something to start with, but then it goes through a couple of different people and you share it and you get it back. And then it's like that idea that it just builds and builds and builds. And, and what you come out on the other side is this really cool thing that, you didn't necessarily have at the beginning, but it's the additions from everybody else and the questions from everybody else that has made it what it is. I, I absolutely agree with that. And I would add one more piece, piece Brendan, that's that uh, it's not only uh, contributed to by the people, but it's also what works for the environment. Mm-hmm. This is what I get kind of mad about these cookie cutter programs where you can say, oh, yeah, just take this and drop it in your school. It's going to work without any recognition about the students at that school are different. The staff have different abilities. I mean, there's different needs and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I absolutely have seen that. It's like you put it out, you roll it around, and when it pops out, not only is it different because of the people, um, the teachers and the professional staff that have had their hands on it, but it's different because what works for that, you know, school schedule, school makeup, school body, the community that surrounds it, all those kind of things. And I'm really in... You know, you can be informed by the research, but you got to make it work on a practical level. It's got to be both rigorous and human and, and those two parts really work in tandem. Yeah, absolutely. And it's that idea that I like I I love this piece from Passy Salzburg. Um, you know, I remember at you lead a, a few years ago, he he talked about uh the idea of what works in Singapore works in in Singapore because it's in Singapore and mm-hmm. what works in Finland works in Finland because it's in Finland and if you were to take you know, what works in Finland and take it to Singapore, it wouldn't work there because it doesn't, it's not the same thing. And I think we see that off and on um, within our schools where it's like, we see this idea and it's a great idea and it works amazingly at, uh, at, at the school that you're in. And that's one of the things that I've always valued about uh, our division and, and our opportunities to get into other sites and see things that are happening in other places is you see these great ideas. And I think it's so important to take those great ideas and say, okay, not how do I copy it? 
but how do I make it, how do I take that idea and make it work in my context? And how do I shape it to work for us? Because that's how we actually get things to stick, right? When we take a carbon copy and we stick it in somewhere, it's different because the people that make it are different. Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing that I, I would add to that is that I think that if we're we're looking at entire programs, if we're looking at these like incredibly well-formed ideas and thinking that we're going to go away and like birth this amazing program and, and incredible idea, I think we're wrong. I think the 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 better way about going about about that, and I've learned this through trial and error, is these small incremental steps. Go and make one tiny little change, and just get one percent better. You know, one percent better. How do you make that small? And then after a year, yeah, you have birthed this amazing program that is completely revolutionarily different than what you had. But you didn't do it in a way where you felt overwhelmed. You didn't do it in a way where you felt like you had to have all the answers. Because that whole tiny small changes throughout lets you lets you adapt, lets you try things out, lets you kind of you know meet the needs at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that idea that you know it's close approximations of a desired goal, and and I say that all the time in positive behavior supports and nonviolent and working with people. It's like you got to start somewhere and sometimes you get something and you're like, "Mm, yeah, it's not quite there, but it's a place to start. Right. It's that small step. And I, um, you know, how do we take the first small step? How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Right. It's, it's that, it's that simple. It's never going to be perfect when it comes out the first time. It's always got to go through multiple changes, multiple iterations, multiple times of, of it not working. Mm -hmm. Right. Because when it doesn't work, it doesn't mean it's broken. It just means I have to try something different. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And I mean, let's face it with the changing nature of schools and stuff like that. I find it so difficult to plan uh, a year, two years, three years in advance anyway. I mean, you've got different needs that are changing, you know, a new student arrives or a new group of students arrives. And I mean, that becomes your priority. So to be able to have that flexibility as well, I'm not saying you don't plan. I'm not saying you don't have desired outcomes. I'm not saying you don't have this vision, but how you get there can, can look more like a wave than a straight line. Yeah. Yeah. Your plan has to be written in pencil, right? If you wrote it in Sharpie, you're going to be getting a new piece of paper. Yeah, that's exactly it. Well, Bryn, this was uh, a great conversation. We've talked and we've, uh, I think we both committed to having a, a few more of this, making this more of a regular occurrence. And so I want to thank you uh, a heck of a lot. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intersection Education Podcast. Before you go, I'd like to recognize that the land where this interview took place is a sacred place that has a long history of human existence. This land has helped people like the Cree, Salto, Nisitapi or Blackfoot, Métis, and Nakota Sioux live well for thousands of years. Let us continue to live well and respect this land.